Hello and welcome to our Parsha Shavua class. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Kisisa. I'm just going to give an overview of what's going on in this week's Parsha, a basic understanding of the Parsha, and then we'll hone in on one specific takeaway. Okay, so the Parsha is talking about Hashem giving the Jewish, uh, Hashem giving Moshe the last instructions for the Mishkan. He tells him to construct the urn for the Kohanim to wash their hands and their feet before they officiate the Avoda in the Mishkan. He tells him to uh, appoint somebody that's going to oversee all the functions in the Mishkan and make sure that everything is in, in the right place, all the furnishings, all the utensils. He also tells him about um, the silver coins, the half a shekel. He tells him that every Jew needs to, over the age of 20, every male over the age of 20, should give a half a shekel coin to the Mishkan. And this half a shekel coin was used for a few reasons. One of the reasons was to buy karbanos on behalf of the Jewish people, all of the Jewish people giving money to one, to one pot. And from that one pot, they buy karbanos. They bought karbanos for the whole of the Jewish people. That's a virus that the Jewish people did as a whole, or giving karbanos for other reasons, other purposes. Next reason why they gave half shekels was because we're not allowed to be counted. The Jewish people are not allowed to be counted. That's something that it says, I believe, in the Gemara, that a person, people that are, when Jews are counted, it brings a magefa. What does it mean for a Jew not to be counted? It means that we're not allowed to count Eden like one, two, three, four. We're not allowed to count how many people are there using numbers. And the reason for that is because Hashem tells Moshe, don't count, the, don't count them, but have them each give a half a shekel, count the half a shekel, and then you'll know how many Jews you have. The best example I can use, the best mashal I can use to explain this concept is the mashal that I heard today from Rav Zemil Cohen. And he was saying how it's almost like when you walk into a room full of one shekel coins, right? And there's just one shekel coins all over the room. If you have, if you're missing some, if a few are missing, it's not the biggest deal, right? Because you have so many of the same ones. Yeah, it adds more value to the sum total, but it's not like the end of the world if you're missing some or if you have a few more. Whereas take a room in one of the most sought-out museums, art museums in the world, and it has pieces from artists from all over the world, expensive pieces, unique pieces. If one of those pieces goes missing or gets stolen or gets ruined in any way, the the response is not going to be like, oh, okay, there's a 10 others. No, because each one of those pieces is its own unique copy, and there's no other copy to be found. There's no other replica. It is what it is. It was created by the artist that created it. It has its own value. It has Each one of those pieces has tremendous value, right? I, I don't remember exactly the details, but a few years back, one of the pieces, one of the art pieces from, a, I think was a French museum, an art museum, went missing, and the whole world was up in arms about this piece because it's extremely, extremely rare and unique. And when Hashem tells Moshe, we're not counting the Jewish people, it's because I, I don't see them as people. Like when we look at the world, we're like, I'm just another little small person in the myriad of the hundreds of thousands of millions of billions of people on this world. And who am I? I'm just like another like leaf in the wind, you know? It's, I'm not, that's how I can feel as a as as being a person, as being a human being. But here, specifically, Hashem tells Moshe, we're not counting them 
because you can't count something that is unique. You can't count something like you would count more of the same, right? You have you have a ten dollar bill, uh, ten dollar singles, right? So you count one, two, three, four. It's more of the same that you're counting. Another dollar bill and another dollar bill. Each one has its own. Each one has its the same value. Each one has the same worth. Each one is the same exact thing. Each one can can uh, uh, you can uh, buy for you know for each one of those dollars has the same. You use it in the same way. Right, so here, with regards to Amisrael, each person is its own unique combination of spiritual and emotional and psychological, and every person is a new bria, just a new creation that never ever existed before on planet Earth and never will exist again on planet Earth, meaning the value that is intrinsic within each and every single one of us is so huge because there it's like the rarest species, right? You're, there's never going to be another one of you. And the fact that what you have to contribute to the world and what you were given and the personality that you have and the character that you have and the sensitivities that you have and the beauty that is within you, that is something that never existed before and never will again. And so Hashem tells Moshe, don't, don't count them like you would count, like you would count sheep. Don't count them like you would count coins. Don't count them like you would count anything. Because each one of them is one. It's one and one and one and one. It's not one and two and three and four. It's each one is its own one. And then the Parsha continues and talks about Cheta Egel. It talks about the Jewish people part of the Jewish people worshiping the golden calf, how that whole thing went down, what happened there, how is it possible that a nation that saw, you know, the coming out of Mitzrayim, crossing the, crossing the, the Red Sea, Kriyamsuf, uh, eating man, being led by clouds of glory, um, having Moshe leading them, seeing all the miracles, and then going and worshiping an idol that they made themselves with their own hands. So, you know, that... That is a, a very big question. We're going to get back to that in a minute. We're going to get back to that. That's the point that we're going to look into in a minute. I just want to finish giving you over the main uh, gist of the Parsha. Moshe goes up to get the tablets. He comes down. They miscalculate by a half a day. They counted the first day that he went up as a day one, and the next day was really day one. They miscalculated. He comes down. He sees them uh, worshiping the golden calf. He throws down the luchos. He goes back up. To Shemaim. He goes back up to the mountain. He goes up for another 40 days. In those 40 days, he asks Hashem, he pleads with Hashem for forgiveness. He tells Hashem, if you punish them, if you, if you, if you punish them, then erase me from your Torah. Just erase me from your Torah. If you do that. And um, he gets, he gets Akash Baruch Hu to forgive them, but Hashem says, I'll forgive them, but I still can't rest among them. I can't, I can't be amongst them. And the reason there is because what Hashem was hurting over was the whole of the Jewish people did not commit that Avera. They did not go worshiping that golden calf. The whole of the Jewish people did not. Majority of the Jewish people did not. It was a minority that went out and worshipped the golden calf. And even they had the intention, because they knew, they were already told previously, that Hashem is going to use golden, golden uh, um, 
that's what I'm looking for, golden, a golden looking kind of statue to communicate his wishes with them. And their calculation was, oh wait, Moshe doesn't come down. We don't have a leader. We're here in the middle of the desert with nothing. They see the image of Moshe's body because the Satan showed them the image as if Moshe passed away, as if he died. They felt like they were there. They needed to know what Hashem wanted for them. They said, let's construct the, these, this golden uh, piece right? This golden statue, let's construct it so Hashem can communicate with us. They were, the, originally this statue that they were referring to was what later happened in here, in, the, in these partios, the Kruvim, right? The Kruvim in the Mishkan. That's what it, that was referring to. It was not referring to a golden calf. So even the ones that did construct it and did worshiping, worship, end up worshiping in the end, they're the minority. And why did Hashem not, after he forgave the Jewish people, why did he not come down and rest his shechina amongst us and connect with us and be part of us? Why did he not want that? You know why? The answer is very, very interesting. The answer is because Hashem forgave the mistake. Hashem is cool about forgiving mistakes. Hashem created us to make mistakes. Sheva Yipol Tzadik become. He created us that way. It's built into our nature to make mistakes. He's okay with mistakes. He actually likes mistakes. Okay, because what happens after a mistake is that we end up getting closer, right? A person can end up falling to hitting rock bottom, and then from rock bottom, there's only one way up, and it's up, right? Oftentimes, mistakes bring us to our greatest strengths later on, right? We fall hard, it hurts hard, and then we have this urge and this push to push up, to push past the pain and past the frustration and past the mistake and get further on in life and grow and move further, right? And not stay stuck. So mistakes are one thing. So it wasn't the mistake. It wasn't the Avera. It wasn't the Chayta Egel that Hashem didn't forgive because He forgave that. What was the reason why He didn't want to rest the Shechina amongst us? It's because even though it was the minority in the Jewish people that went astray and that lost their minds and that did something out of Taiva, What bothered him was that the majority of the Jewish people didn't go after them and try to talk to them and try to help them avoid doing this and, and, and see what's going on with them and see why they want to go down this path and see what's hurting them. They, they, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And that is something that Hashem aches over. He doesn't ache over Averos. He aches over the fact that when the Jews, when the Jewish people don't act like brothers to each other and are not, oh, your mistake is my mistake. Your fall is my fall. Let me help you up. Let me see what's wrong. You're my brother by the fact that you're another Jew. That's it. I don't have to know anything else about you. The fact that you're another Jew, you are my brother. And your business is my business. Meaning your hurting and your pain is mine. And I'm going to show you that. I'm going to show you that you're in my mind. I'm going to show you that I care about you. I'm going to show you that you matter to me. Because that, in essence, is everything to Hashem. So I want to go back for a second. Okay, so this is what goes on. He goes up one time, comes back down with the luchos, breaks the luchos, goes back another time, asks for forgiveness, comes back down with a second set of luchos. Okay, he brings down the second set of luchos. And then he goes back up a third time. The third 40-day cycle that Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to Harsinai. Hashem tells him over the 13 attributes. He gives him over the attributes of mercy. Hashem teaches Moshe how to learn him, how to know him, how to get to know him, what his meetings are, what his characteristics are, and in what way 
the, we, once we know what Hashem is like, to mimic Him and to walk in His ways. And He gives Him the third, the, in the third round, Moshe Rabbeinu learns about HaKadosh Baruch Hu and uh, comes back down to the Jewish people. Okay, that is what is going on that is what is going on in this week's parsha. Okay, so I want to just go back for a second to eagle to the to the uh, eagle azav, right? The, the Jews were worshiping the idol. So it's really important to remember that. I think it, it's the Baltanya. I'm going to just make sure of this for a minute. The Baltanya writes, he says that the Jews were almost led into making the mistake. They were Hashem set them up. Right? Hashem set them up for failure. How did he set them up for failure? It says, So he asks over here, he says, he says like this, this is the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he says, how could the people who witness Hashem's miracles and experience his revelation at Mount Sinai commit such a blatant transgression so soon afterward? Right? And he says, even though the percentage of the people that worship the calf were small, even though it's so hard to imagine how they were able to do this. And then he says, Chazal teach us that the Jews at this point were incapable of sinning. Okay? That's what Chazal tells us. They were incapable of sinning. They were so drenched, if that's a good word. They were so full with, this is Hashem, Zekili Van Veu. It's so obvious. They saw him. They saw his back, right, by Matan Torah. It was so obvious that they were incapable of sinning. So he says here, in order to enable the, Jew, the people to rise to the heights of spiritual achievement, only attainable through repentance, God forced the entire incident upon them. That's very, very interesting. What we're learning over here is something huge, 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 huge. Hashem doesn't want perfection. Hashem doesn't want you to be perfect. Hashem doesn't expect you, want you. It's not his love language. It's not what he loves. You know what he loves? He loves what happens to you after you meet your demons, after you meet your fears, after you fall down, after you screw up. He loves what comes afterwards from you. He loves what comes out of you from that. And what comes out of you from that? What comes out of you is a process that can only happen once you fall down, once you make a mistake, once you fail, once you break your vessels. Once you're once you're once you do things that are, you know, are not what you want to be doing, not who you want to be. But what happens to us in the process when we do fall and we do fail and we don't get it right and we mess up and we yell and we get angry and we talk we do all the things we're not supposed to do. What happens to us afterwards is everything. Everything. So it says over here that he literally set them up to fail because they were incapable of sinning. And he says, and he ends off here, and he says, we can all focus on our past misdeeds as opportunities through which we can scale spiritual heights that we cannot rise to other words, otherwise. In other words, what we can achieve through tshuva, through seeing what I did wrong and saying I did this wrong, I f- don't want to be this person, I regret doing this, or, you know, cleaning up messes with people that are hurt, you know, I, I, approaching them, asking them, you know, to talk about what happened or to asking them to forgive you for what you did wrong and to take responsibility for your words, for your actions. What happens to us in that process when we're able to pick ourselves up, when we're able to 
go back into the ring, when we're able to speak to ourselves kindly even when we fail, when we're able to understand that failure is an integral part of growth, when we're able to go through that raw process of falling down and getting up, something happens to us inside, something is created within us, a new muscle, a new layer, a, a new reality that's, that we expose within ourselves, which is part of our soul. We expose ourselves more to ourselves and we become closer and more real and more ourselves and we live up to our potential more. And that, that is what Hashem's interested in. And that's why he set them up. And the whole thing was a setup because he wanted them to go through the process of falling down, worshiping the Avodah Zarah, seeing Moshe come down from the mountain, seeing him break the luchos, the letters leave the, the, the tablets and the luchos break. He wanted them to not get the luchos from Shemayim. Here, Hashem is giving you the luchos. Now you're a good child, good boy. Kolakavod. No, he wanted them because of human nature, the way he created us, is that when we work for something, when we earn something, it lasts longer. And when someone gives something to us, it lasts not that long, right? That's usually the way it goes. So when someone gives us something, we don't feel such a connection to that thing. We don't value that thing so much as when we earn it ourselves and when we work for it ourselves. And so therefore Hashem wanted them, the Jewish people, to they themselves earn it. They themselves receive it from themselves. And afterwards they did tshuva and they asked Hashem for forgiveness. And they went through that whole process of getting closer and realizing where they went wrong and where they messed up and how they lost sight and how they should have had more faith. And all of, they went through that whole process internally and then and then when the luchos shneos that they received, the second set of luchos, those were luchos that can never be destroyed. Those are luchos that Moshe wrote. They can never, ever be destroyed. Those are luchos that symbolize and represent us choosing God, us choosing Him. It was like, He took us out of Egypt. He crossed the sea for us. He gave us the man. The man. He put, took care of us and made sure that we were, our clothes were, were washed and everything was set up for us. It's like the parent that always does for the kid, always does for the kid, always does for the kid. When, when, does the, when does the relationship really show? When the kid is able to turn around and do for the parent in a way that is real and from the heart. And I want you and I want this relationship and you mean everything to me. Then then it's a real relationship. Otherwise, if it's the parent just giving and giving and giving and giving, then the child, what happens to the child is the child doesn't see the value so much and loses sight of how much they're receiving and how much blessing they're getting and how much goodness and how much love. They take it as a, as a given. Like, of course, yeah, whatever. This is my life. This is how it is. So what happens to us there in the desert is that Hashem put a stop to that whole thing and He made us take a step forward. And what happened to us in the process of taking a step forward is that we, we grew into ourselves. We grew into our, our beings, into who we were, into who we really are. And that's the system, and that's the equation, and that's the formula, and that's how it goes in our lives. So when you're at a low point, or when you're fumbling and tumbling and trying to you know, get things right, and when you're actually getting something right, all of a sudden something else falls apart, just remember, just remember, it's exactly how he wants it to be for you. And all the pieces of your life add up exactly to match where you are in your journey, on your path. And what you are and what you can give to the world, nobody, nobody has to give. Nobody. And all the comparisons that are going on, like comparing ourselves to what we see on social media, comparing ourselves to other people that are so 
type A, let's say, or people that are have it all together, look like they have it all together and all of that, that that needs to go out the window because that's just confusing. That's just throwing us a, a curveball, just throwing us a curveball because how can I compare myself to you when me and you are s- different? We have different paths, different journeys, different, co- different missions, different, everything is different. So how can I compare myself to you? Where I succeed, you fail. Where you fail, I succeed. Where I fail, you succeed, right? That's how, that's how it goes. And seeing failure as something that's integral and something that is brilliant, seeing pain, seeing you know the process of the life that we're living, that we're going through, as something that is building and is something is creating something within us that is bigger, that is stronger, that is more pure. Seeing that as something that is necessary, it's not like unnecessary, it's necessary. I think that will give us more strength to and inspiration and motivation to go through our life and not to be so hard on ourselves and to understand that in his eyes, it's everything. Your mistakes are everything and your successes are everything. Your failures are everything and your process is everything. It's everything to him. You don't have to feel like just because you made mistakes, then you're not important to him or that you're not valuable or that you're not worthy or that you're less than in any way, shape, or form. It's the biggest souls in the world that have the most, the hardest time walking a straight line and not fumbling through it. But it's because there are such big souls. So with that, I'd like to wish everyone here a good Shabbos. And we should be Zoha. We should be Zoha to have our faces light up like Moshe Rabbeinu's face lit up after he wrote the Luchos have our faces light up from the Torah that we're learning, the energy that we're investing into our Torah learning, into our Avodah Hashem, into becoming more ourselves, our spiritual selves, more connected to our true selves, our inside selves, what's real. And God willing, it should be in the schos of this week's parsha that we feel that light on our face from, from the learning that we're doing and from the devotion and from the Avodah that we're doing. Have a beautiful Shabbos. Thanks for joining.